Jesus said here in John 4 that true worshipers worship when it happens in spirit and truth. So worship is not a place. It's not a mountain. It's not a church. It's not a physical posture. It's not singing or music. It is worship that is carried along by the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And it interacts with our spirit and it creates in our heart an adoration for the truth of who God is to us, what God has done for us, and how we're related to Him. Thank you for listening to the Calhoun Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Mark Abney. Brother Mark preached from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 in his sermon titled, Worship. And now, Brother Mark. Looking in your Bibles in Romans 12, chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to do meat and potatoes. Did you bring some rolls? I did. We got all the fixings. <laughs> I want to talk to you this morning about worship because I think worship is so important in the life of every believer. And I was looking for a verse that would describe kind of what worship really is. And this is the verse that I come up with. So if you would stand with me as we read out of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable perfect will of God. Would you pray with me? Father God, teach us how to worship. Show us in your word. Allow your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and give us the direction that we need that we might worship you in spirit and truth. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, you may be seated. So what is worship? Well, I looked in the dictionary, and it says a feeling or an expression of reverence or adoration for a deity. Looking at the history of the English word worship, we find that it's connected to the word worthiness. Another word for worship is worth-ship. Worth-ship, two words. Our worship in our culture has become flippant in many ways. We have worship services, worship sets, worship leaders, worship teams, worship bands, worship centers, worship posture and praise and worship times and days on which we go to corporate worship. If I were were to say this morning it's time to worship, what comes to your mind? Or if I was to say that I had been to a great worship service, where would your mind take you? For some, it would be singing and music. For others, it would be uplifted hands. For some, it would be praying, and still others might think of dancing and shouting. And this is how we've come to worship in our day. And I want to tell you this morning that these things are not worship. This is how we've come to see worship in our day. But you could actually do every one of these things and not really actually ever worship God. And you could do every one of these things and not worship God. 
The Hebrew word for worship is histakava. It's used 71 times in the Old Testament. And it literally means to bow down with reverence and respect. In the New Testament, the Greek word is proskuneo. And it means to come and bow down before Jesus and worship Him. Here's where we get the word prostrate, to bow down before God and kneeling in a prostration to show our obedience. John 4, 7 and 24, Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman at the well of Sychar. This woman had been married five times and is now living with a cohabitating with a guy that wasn't her husband. And Jesus was telling her about all of her life and her sins and everything. And she decided to change the subject. And she says to Jesus, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but the Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where we ought to worship. And Jesus says this to her about worship. Woman, believe me, he says, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is the Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Jesus says there's a time coming, and now is, when it's not about that mountain or that place that you go and worship, it's not about which church you worship in, it's not about the physical posture that you take, it's not about a ritual, it's about your heart. And rather than being an external place or posture or something you do, worship is something that comes out of you from your heart. Jesus said here in John 4 that true worshipers Worship, when it happens in spirit and truth, so worship is not a place. It's not a mountain. It's not a church. It's not a physical posture. It's not singing or music. It is worship that is carried along by the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And it interacts with our spirit, and it creates in our heart an adoration for the truth of who God is to us, what God has done for us, and how we're related to Him. Jesus says worship is not about any of these external forms that we see. Worship has got nothing to do with the place where you worship. Worship is not about the holy days or the seasons or the feasts or the festivals. Worship is not about rituals or rites or religion. Worship is not about uplifted hands or singing or music. Worship is not about praying or eloquent, eloquent preaching like I preach or like Charles Stanley. Worship is not about anything else but what's going on in your heart. And in the New Testament, as believers, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us, and we're the sanctuary of God. We are the church. And every day is a day of worship to a true believer. Not just Sundays, not just special events, but every day is a day of worship. How you worship in your heart will manifest itself in an external appearance in a different way depending on the day or the place where you're at. Our culture has changed worship to be associated with good music or good preaching or shouting or the like, rather than what Jesus explained to us about worship in the heart. 
When someone says a worship was awesome today, they're most likely speaking about a place where they were where the music was good. And the posture of the people that was attending was uplifted hands and they was excited and shouting and carrying on. Jesus called the Pharisees in Matthew 15. He says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You draw near to me with your mouth. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. To define worship, true worship, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. It's all about the heart. Isaiah 1.10 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Says the Lord, I've had enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. New moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of the assemblies, I cannot endure inequity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons, your appointed feast, my soul hates them. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear you. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, and put away the evil doings from my eyes. Cleanse, cease to do evil. And in Amos 5 in the Old Testament, it says, Take away from me the noise of your songs. Sometimes our songs to the Lord are nothing but noise. For I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. I'm not critical of worship music at all. In fact, I love worship music, and I play worship music. I, I lead worship music. I, I'm all about worship music because I believe it is a way that we worship God from our heart. But to many... True worship has been replaced by a feeling that comes over a person rather than a grateful, forgiving heart that leads one to, to give oneself, all of oneself, to the Lord. And feelings can be misleading. Feelings can come over us in a rock concert or a movie theater or a sporting event. In fact, if you don't believe that I get excited about sporting events, just ask Lori. She won't even sit with me when I watch the Tigers play. <laughs> feelings can be misleading. God does not feel worshipped by the tone of our voice when we sing. God does not feel worshipped by the volume of our music. He doesn't even feel worshipped by the words of our songs. He's not impressed with the grandeur of our churches or the digital sound system or the lights or the worship leader. God is not honored by special holiday events or eloquent preaching or church attendance. God is moved by gratefulness, by thanksgiving, by worthiness that we have in our heart for Him. In the 1990s, Matt Redman, a music singer and artist, in his church home, they were struggling with worship. 
They were going through a dry period, and they were missing worship in their spiritual life. The pastor was a man called Mike Pivolacci, and he did a very brave thing in the midst of a dry spell. He got rid of the sound system and the worship team. This is what Matt Redmond said. He said, we gathered together with just our voices. His point was that we lost our way in worship, and the way to get back to the heart of worship was to strip everything away. The pastor reminded the people to be producers of worship and not just consumers of worship. He asked them the question, when you come through the doors on a Sunday, what are you bringing to offer God? Or are you coming to take, to receive, and not to give? Matt says that that question initially led some to embarrassing silences on Sunday morning with no music. But eventually, the people broke out into a cappella songs and heartfelt prayers, encountering God in a fresh way. And before long, they reintroduced the musicians. They, they weren't against them or the sound system, but when they stripped everything away, they gained a new perspective about worship and about the heart. And it's all about Jesus. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, I will bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You look much deeper within than the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'll give you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. So what is true worship? Well, I think we got the answer to that in our text. Romans 12, 1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's it. That's it. That's what worship is. The New King James renders it, this is your reasonable service to give your body to the Lord, and it's your reasonable service. The NIV translates it, translates it this way. This is your true and proper worship. The, the New Living says, Let them, that is your bodies, be living and a holy sacrifice, the kind God will find acceptable. This is truly a way to worship Him. The New American Standard Bible says the spirit of the service of worship. Paul says this to the Corinthians in Rome. I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you, choose to worship God by giving yourself to him. Do you know that you engage your will, your free will when you worship God? You choose to do it. But let me say that your choice is only possible when you respond to the mercies of God. He says, I beseech you, therefore, by these mercies of God that you do this. I beg you by the mercies of God that you do this. I, I plead with you because you have received the mercies of God that you offer your body, that you give your life to the Lord, that you say, God, you have all of me. You do with me as you please. I am here to serve you because I want to worship you. Has God been merciful to you? This verse tells us that we sacrifice ourselves as a free will response to God's great mercy and His goodness in our life. Religion sacrifices to gain mercy, but worshipers, worshipers sacrifice because of mercy. 
I beseech you, therefore, because of these mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is true and proper worship before a holy God. Warren Worsby says, Worship is the believer's response of all that they are. Mind, emotions, will, body. To God for what God does in our lives. William Temple was the Archbishop of Canterbury a number of years ago, and he put it like this, Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It's the quickening of our conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of our mind with His truth, the purifying of our imagination with His beauty, the opening of our heart with His love, the surrender of our will with His purpose, all this gathered up in adoration of the most selfless emotion in which our nature, nature is capable of doing. Worship is a remedy for self-centeredness and selfish sins. We are overshadowed by the greatness of who God is. Our conceit is destroyed when we get caught up in worship. When we present ourselves as living sacrifices, we're giving God our worship in spirit and truth. The Bible says you must die in order to worship God. Matthew 16, 25. For whosoever shall shave his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. I was listening to Jack Hibbs Friday morning, and he said this about that verse. It's not about losing your life like jumping off a cliff and saying goodbye, cruel world. Nope. It's about laying down your life. It's a living sacrifice. You lay down what you want, and you pick up what God wants, a living sacrifice. You're not just saying Jesus is Lord, you're making Jesus Lord of your life. And it's a living sacrifice when we kill the flesh and live to the Holy Spirit who is in us. An altar is any place that you and I meet God. As believers, we should have altars all around us, our bedroom, our bathroom, our living room, our yard, our garden, our workshop, our school, the lake, our workplace, our favorite vacation spot. And the reason we have so many altars is because living sacrifices require daily maintenance. The problem with the living sacrifice is it tends to crawl off the altar. And we need to continually put ourselves back up there and say, Lord, you have all of me. In conclusion, I want to ask you, where are you? Are you on the throne of your life or is God? Where's your heart? In the text on true worship, we discovered that worship is making yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, because that's what's in our heart. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So don't lay up treasures on the earth where moth and rust corrupts, but lay up treasures in heaven. What is your treasure? What is your, where is your spiritual bank account? Where do you spend your money? Billy Graham said, show me a person's checkbook and I'll show you where their heart is. Is that not truth? When we worship in spirit and truth, our lives will be a manifestation of God in action. 
And when we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God as our reasonable act of worship, we become the people of God that he designed us to be. And we reflect him in our lives. So how does that look? Well, I'm glad you asked because that helps me with this ending. In Hebrews 12, Paul tells us that the folks, Paul tells the folks there to throw off yourself and the sin and run the race that Jesus laid out. Don't grow weary in, in being a living sacrifice and in doing God's will. Lift your drooping head, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight your path. In Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, the last verses of that chapter, he says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. And then, in a grand finale, in Hebrews chapter 13, we get a laundry list of sacrifices that are pleasing to God. He says, Love one another. Show hospitality to strangers. Minister to the folks in jail. Keep your marriage honorable, honorable and undefiled. Keep your life free of the love of money. Be content with what you have. Remember your leaders and imitate their, their faith. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Go outside of the house and bear the reproach that Jesus endured to build the kingdom of God. Continue to offer up the sacrifices of praise to God and acknowledge His name in all things. Give God the glory. Don't neglect to do good and share what you have with others, for these sacrifices are very pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, and keep, for they keep watch over your souls. Do God's will with joy. Pray for one another and desire the things of God. This is a partial list of the external manifestations of true worship. You see, when our heart's right and we're worshiping God because of all that He's done for us, we'll be obedient. And that obedience will manifest themselves in these things that Paul talked about in Hebrews. By the grace of God, we've been saved, we've been given eternal life, and we're joint heirs with the King of Kings. With a grateful heart, we worship Him by laying down our lives as a living sacrifice because this is our reasonable act of worship. This kind of worshipful heart will have many external manifestations of worship expressed in the realm of our influence. When we think about worship, what is our singing worth? What is our praise worth? What are uplifted hands worth? What is preaching worth? What is church attendance and activities worth? if we're not laying down our life. What is worship? Worship is giving your all. He says, I beg you, I beseech you, I ask of you, because of God's mercy and blessings, that you present your body, your soul, your spirit, your mind, your physical being, a living sacrifice, daily rededicating yourself to God because this is what true worship is all about. This is what God deserves, and this is what He asks of us. When the music fades, and all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth, that will bless your heart, I will bring you more than a song. 
For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, though the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, help us to be true worshipers. Out of a heart of grateful love and awe and respect for the mercies that you've bestowed upon us. And Lord, your grace, your unearned favor, we did nothing to deserve, but you gave it freely to us. And Lord, if we have nothing else but salvation, we are indeed a blessed people because we have eternal life with you forever. Lord, help us to take that grateful heart and worship you with the, with, with the external actions that come from a heart that's grateful for all your mercies. That the people around us might see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. That they might be drawn to you and that they might have what we have. Lord, sometimes we get complacent in our worship and it becomes more about the music. It becomes more about the, the preaching. It becomes more about the place. But Lord, we know it's not about any of them things. It's all about you. So Lord, help us to come back to the heart of worship where it's all about you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. We're going to be singing page 320. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this week's podcast. Our prayer is that if you are touched by this message, that you will respond with action. If you would like to accept Christ as your Lord, we ask that you pray the following prayer. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I do not deserve eternal life, but I believe that you died and rose from the grave to make me a new creation and to prepare me to dwell in your presence forever. Jesus, come into my life, take control of my life, forgive my sins, and save me. I am now placing my trust in you alone for my salvation, and I accept your free gift of eternal life. If you prayed this prayer with us today, then you know that you are truly saved. We'd love to hear from you so that we might connect in a meaningful way, encouraging you to be active in the local church, and share the same saving message of Jesus Christ. Please feel free to contact our pastor, visit our church, or find a Bible-believing local congregation near you. However you respond, please let us know.